0: Miracy. I'm Sharon Richmond. Welcome to To Lead is Human. For more than 30 years, I've run a business called Leading Large. I help C-level executives expand their impact, clarify priorities, energize their organizations, and build cultures of accountability and respect. In this podcast, we help you envision how to supercharge your leadership, by blending the art and science of leading with intention. I talk with top business leaders who exemplify the principles of leading large. They know that as leaders, the influence they have comes with an equal measure of responsibility. These leaders not only deliver stellar value to their customers, clients, and stakeholders, they prioritize building organizations that provide purpose, meaning, and a healthy work environment for their employees. We learn from the challenges and successes they've experienced on their human journey. Today, I have the honor of welcoming two leaders to the show. Danny Eney and Bumi Patak are the owners and leaders of Miracy, a company that helps coaches, consultants, and other experts who want to share their gifts and talents with a greater audience. And as a married couple who works together full time, they've not only grown individually, but have also grown in how they co-lead the organization. I first met Danny and Boomy as a customer of their business. It was kind of a rough time in my life. I was grieving the recent loss of my mother and trying to rebuild my business after taking time away to support her during her illness. I was looking for a like-minded organization, one that shared my belief that business is about more than just exchanging money for goods and services, that it can be uplifting to the best of our human natures. I met Danny through a mutual friend, Dory Clark who vouched for the honest, good-hearted way Miracy conducts business. Since I'd had bad experiences with similar organizations, I was pretty skeptical. Fast forward five years, and I now count Miracy and Danny and Boomy as important sources of support to me as I grow Leading Large. I invited Danny and Boomy to join us today to give us a rare peek into how members of a leadership team can balance one another's strengths and build awareness of each other's blind spots where Danny brings strong entrepreneurial energy and a focus on the future, Bumi provides an operational excellence perspective, bringing the much needed structure and processes to Miracy to help it grow. Listen for Danny to talk about the inherent unfairness in leadership and the mantra he repeats to himself that helps him continue to handle the increasingly challenging aspects of his leadership. And for Bumi to tell the story of how she learned not to give feedback, as well as the key questions she now asks herself when feeling extra pressured before a team meeting. What they share is their passion and enthusiasm for building an organization focused on delivering transformational growth and doing so in a way that enhances their relationship, all while growing Miracy quite quickly. Welcome to the show, Danny and Boomy. I'm so happy to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you, Sharon. So would you start out, Danny and Boomy, by just telling our listeners a little bit about Miracy and what the company does?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'll start because I was doing this before Boomi joined in, but I have a background in entrepreneurship and then marketing because entrepreneurship involves marketing necessarily, unless you're doing it incredibly unsuccessfully. And I learned some things that I thought would be useful and I thought it would be helpful to write about them and create online courses and so on and so forth. And I started doing that very much feeling my way around the landscape in the industry. And I found just the spot where it was the right message for the right market at the right time. And it caught fire and we started to grow. And that was over a decade ago. And we went from just me um, with, uh, with a part-time assistant to, I mean, now across our portfolio of businesses, we're over 120 people and continuing to grow very quickly. And so what started as a blog with a little bit of consulting and coaching has narrowed and then broadened in scope, right? Focusing in on online courses and then broadening to everything that coaches and consultants and expertise based entrepreneurs need on their journey around that online course and everything that comes with it. And particularly over the last bunch of years, we've also grown uh, quite a bit by acquisition. So bringing other, other businesses inside of our industry into the portfolio of, of what we do. And so there have been a lot of changes and multiple learning curves to grapple along the way.
2: Yeah, it's been quite a journey. And when I joined in 2013, my background is in finance from way back then. And then I was in consulting for a while. And so coming in with finance project management background into a, an entrepreneurial company was a really interesting experience. Up to that point, all my experience had been in Fortune 500 companies and then joining a small entrepreneurial company with like four employees at the time. Um, we, you know, we didn't necessarily have a really clear role for me at the time, but, you know, I, we expected that as we grew, I would find a role for me and add value. And I was looking to make a shift at that point away from consulting. And so the idea was, let's try this out for three months and see how it goes. You know, of course we're married, don't want to jeopardize the, the marriage. So if it doesn't work, no harm, you know, we'll part ways and we would have given it a try.
1: Part ways professionally, just to clarify. Yes, part ways professionally.
2: So, Bumi, you said uh, it was an
0: interesting transition. If you didn't use the word interesting, how would you describe that transition from the big companies into this crazy entrepreneurial uh, soup pot, let's
2: call it? When I joined the Marketing at the time, it was a bunch of very junior people with not a lot of processes flying by the seats of our pants and lots to figure out. Um, And, you know, the biggest shift for me was probably, like, you know, as a manager in a consulting firm, I was like, oh, oh, well, we have, you know, deals coming in, you know, the pipeline is a little, I don't know, slow right now, but whatever. I'm not worried about my paycheck. Right. But when you're a business owner, you know, it's like, uh, sales are looking a little weak. We better figure something out. We don't really have a left options. So that was probably the biggest, you know, realization that there is no sort of like tree of money or anything like that. We have created our own tree of money. <laughs> so classic
0: entrepreneurial experience in the very early stages. And that's yeah. the time of usually most chaos in a business and least structure. So do you think there's anything in particular that's contributed to the company being able to keep that pace of growth?
1: We have very much a culture of comfort with discomfort. Um, There's a concept from the world of education called the zone of proximal development. It comes from the work of Lev Vygotsky, who was a child psychologist like 100 years ago. And the basic idea, I'm oversimplifying, of course, but the basic idea is that you can plot any any activity, any pursuit, anything you try to do on a spectrum from easy to hard. And somewhere on that spectrum is the limit of your ability. And if you're a beginner, it'll be early to one side. And if you're very skilled, it'll be further to the other side. But somewhere there's the limit of your ability. Well, the zone of proximal development is that space just beyond that limit where you can still operate capably. You can still function with competence with the help and support of a a guide, a teacher, a mentor, a support structure. And so we spend a lot of our time in the zone of proximal development, and it requires a different perspective on challenge and stability. So a lot of people conceptualize a journey as being a lot like um, like taking a train. So maybe you've got to hustle to be able to afford the ticket. Maybe you've got to run to get onto it on time. But once you're on it, you're like, OK, I'm on the train. I'm on the track. I can just sit down, relax, keep an eye on what I'm seeing out the window for my stop and like I'm good. Right. And we aspire in our growth trajectories to get to the place where it's like, now I'm sitting on the train, I can relax. It's going to be easy now. And what I think is a better metaphor, more accurate metaphor for the experience of actually navigating growth is that it's more like learning how to surf. Right. When you're surfing, you never get to a place where it's like, all right, the water's perfectly calm now, nothing's moving. I mean, I can sit back and take a nap and that's it. Right. The water's always moving, it's always changing. And What gives you confidence is your competence in being able to handle how the water might move and change and and flow in different ways. So it's not about, I want to get to a point where, okay, now finally it's easy. It's about, I want to keep getting better so that I can keep handling more and more challenging things. I think it's from Jim Rohn, the line, you know, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better. So I try to keep that in mind a lot. (laughs)
0: I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to share that mindset with you, and it does seem healthier. So I'm going to ask you for a moment to do something a little strange. I'd like you, Bumi, to tell me what is Danny's leadership style?
2: Yeah, I think when you, when I first started out, and, you know, we were a smaller team, Danny, you were intimately involved in all the facets of the work. And I remember you used to get very frustrated with things that got missed. And, and you know, you're blessed and cursed, I suppose, with the ability to really notice when something's out of place and that would drive you nuts. And I feel like over the last bunch of years, you've come a really long way in that perspective where you're really mostly focused on people, their ideas, of course, guiding them, coaching them, but having them take more ownership. I'm sure things still frustrate you when things don't go as planned or when there are things that are missed that shouldn't be missed. But I've seen you take a a longer term perspective on things. Where it's not about you know this one issue or this other issue, but you know what's the trajectory here and how exciting is this trajectory and what we can accomplish together. Um, I think Danny, you're also really great at seeing the potential in people and uh, helping them get excited about that potential. So you know you talk about the zone of proximal development um, and getting comfortable with the discomfort. I think people who work for you they really buy into that and the growth trajectories that they find themselves on, you know, they impress themselves with how far they have come. Um, And that's really cool.
0: Great. Thanks for that. Uh, Danny, how would you describe Boomi's leadership?
1: I think Boomi's style is very much around a commitment to and alignment around excellence. Um, And one of the ways that it's kind of evolved over the years is that it's become a much deeper appreciation for the drivers of excellence. So kind of going from, you know, this is what the deliverable should look like to then here is where people need to work on shoring up their challenges in, in creating those deliverables to a much more nuanced view of the whole person in front of her and finding the unique skills and strengths that they can bring to challenges and opportunities in front of them and helping them bring those out and really lean into them and creating the environment and context in which they can thrive. Um, she's really become very skilled at it, um, which has been impressive to watch over over the course of of a decade.
0: And so what's a story that would help illustrate the kind of leader that Bumi is today?
1: So when I think about the starting point, um, and, and you know, Bumi's smiling. She knows exactly what what comes to mind. This is like very early in her career. This is before she even came to work with me. She was a, at a big consulting firm. She was, this may have been your first time in a management position, if I'm remembering right. And she had someone who was reporting to her and their performance was not great. And she was like, I want to help this person do better. So she looks at what are all the areas where this person is falling short and sets up a meeting and she starts the meeting with, so... I've made a list of everything that's wrong with you. And the meeting did not go well. And of course it was, it was a great learning experience. And the reason why it's a memorable story- I didn't
2: even get through the list. I went halfway and then she started crying and I'm like, oh no, don't cry.
1: (laughs) But the reason it's memorable is that as a function of just inexperience, I think, it's a caricature of what not to do. Whereas the way in which she is a wonderful leader today doesn't lend itself well to stories because it's about a lot of very small moments and very small interactions, constantly helping people feel comfortable and safe in their work and helping them look to a slightly higher than before bar for excellence and becoming a little more aware of their strengths and skills that they can bring to bear. Good leadership. I mean, you, you can have good leadership in the, you know, Steve Jobs getting on the stage kind of way, and there is a place for that, but. I think good operational leadership is really much more a function of, you know, let me let me pull up a chair and sit down next to you and guide you and give you some direction. And it's incredibly undramatic, but it's also incredibly powerful.
0: I want to ask you now to describe your own leadership. How, how would you describe yourself, Danny, as a leader?
1: I've been aware for quite a while that there are um, not a ton of things that I'm amazing at, but there's a very small number of things and I've learned to apply it in a lot of ways. I am an excellent teacher and most of what I do well, I do it well because I do it like a teacher, right? I parent like a teacher. I manage like a teacher. I lead like a teacher. I market like a teacher. And a teacher's job is to see what someone is capable of even and especially if they don't see it yet themselves and then inspire them to direct their attention in the most fruitful way with All the freedom in the world to experiment and the guardrails to make sure they don't go too far. I I lead well because I lead like a teacher.
0: And so, behaviorally, what are a couple of those things?
1: Giving people space to screw up, separating out the size of the mistake from the consequence of the mistake. Because sometimes small mistakes have very big consequences, and sometimes big mistakes have small consequences. And when it comes to feedback and direction, It's not the size of the consequence that should matter. It's the size of the mistake. There was a great line I got from a book. I don't remember which book it is, but someone was describing a manager as being, what was the line? Being very lenient with mistakes of inexperience and very stringent with mistakes of inattention and very good at knowing the difference. And that's something that I think is very important that I I aspire to. It's sometimes hard for me to separate out my ideal of what I think the role or function or opportunity could be and how I think the person could show up, like hypothetically in theory, how one might versus how this person could. uh, I, I very frequently underestimate learning curves and how long it will take to understand or figure out or get really good at something. I think those are probably big areas. And I mean, it works in a lot of contexts because, you know, I I probably push people further and faster than they would go, but it's harder. It's harder.
0: So what have you learned about yourself with respect to that piece of your leadership? And how do you adapt yourself?
1: I think just to be more patient.
0: Easier said than
1: done. Definitely easier said than done. But I used to be much more idealistic and dogmatic when I was younger. I think I'm more mature, uh, tempered, measured, and maybe a little bit more cynical, but hopefully not too much. Um, and just thinking on a broader timescale, right? I don't know if this is a function of, of youth or inexperience or a combination of those things, but you know, when I was younger, everything felt very immediate. And these days, while a lot of things can still feel very immediate, I try to spend and I think maybe gravitate to... A broader, longer-term focus. And so it's less about what is going on with this project or this campaign this month. It's more about what is the organization we're building over the coming 6, 12, 18 months and the strategy that we want to enact and the strengths that we want to develop. Um, and I think that broader view lends itself well to creating a space for people to grow and, and coaching and supporting them in a timescale and at a pace that works better. Thanks.
2: Bumi, how would you describe your leadership? I would say my leadership style is very collaborative. I enjoy leading teams that are diverse in other word, but like they have ex- that have expertise that I don't. So for example, over the last you know few years, like I've led operations teams with developers. I've led uh, coaching teams with coaches. I'm not a developer, I'm not a coach. Um, but I feel like, I'm, like I enjoy being the person who's able to like- um, get their expertise and create something valuable based on that and direct that expertise and figure things out together and be the person who facilitates the figuring things out uh, and problem solving. And so I like working with people that I respect um, professionally and probably everyone else does um, too, but like, I think of them as peers uh, figuring things out and bringing our shared vision to reality versus being a director of things. So it's more, let's figure out what we are aspiring to here. What is the, what is the fun here? You know, what is the value here? How do we want to make people feel? How do we want to deliver on this? What's the, um, you know, what's going to be meaningful? What's going to be fun to do? And, and let's set high expectations for ourselves. Let's set the bar high for excellence and see how we can make it. So, you know, what are the the processes, the systems, the tools we need to put in place, you know, what are the the training opportunities that people need to take advantage of in order to be able to show up and deliver at that level. So I love figuring out those things and working together uh, to figure these things out. And at the same time, so like it's, uh, I think early on in my career, I was very focused on, you know, making sure this specific deliverable is as great as it can be. And, you know, getting frustrated and upset that it's, you know, not living up to my vision. Um, I was also very driven by, you know, I, I can't fail. I don't want to fail. Failure is not an option. And, and that led to a lot of like micromanager tendencies in terms of like, you know, looking over people's shoulders, like, Hey, tell me where you're at. You know, like, is this working? Is this done? And then moving towards accepting that, look, I don't have full control when I'm leading a team. I don't have a full control on how things turn out and being okay with that. And not seeing things in black and white success, failure terms, but more in, you know, a good day for me is if we're doing good work for people that matters and we're trying to get better. And so there's no end to that and there's no f- failure associated with that. And so living into that and, and which, you know, is um, ha- has been a journey, um, but it's allowed me, I feel, to find more peace as a leader and not, you know, have sleepless nights because I'm losing sleep over whether something's done or not done. Um, Letting go of that attachment to having it be a certain way and uh, trusting that together as a team, trusting our people, trusting our team to figure things out to the best of their abilities and then we'll manage afterwards.
0: So I appreciate, Bumi, what you've just described, which I might sum up briefly as there was a period of time when you didn't have that much trust and it led you to being a little more of a micromanager and something changed in you that has allowed you to uh, lessen that grip and also have more trust, what was the transition for you? Was there a moment that you can remember where something just blew up or what, what happened to help you make that transition?
2: I ended up working with an exec coach and she helped me kind of make that transition.
0: And for, the, for those listeners that are like, how did she do that? Was there something that you learned that you could share
2: about that transition? You know, there's like you have the vision for how you want to show up as a leader. I had a vision for how I want to show up as a leader. And then the reality of how I was showing up and there was a gap. And so working with the coach really helped me bridge that gap.
0: And was there anything in particular that the coach suggested you practice that would help you make that shift?
2: Probably. I think I think she helped me kind of see what the... You know, like, what am I aspiring to as a leader? You know, what's important to me? What are my values? Um, and then, you know, playing with showing up that way. Um, letting go of the need to micromanage and starting to trust people on small things and then see how it plays out and let them surprise you. And people do surprise you. And then having that validated, you know, so, oh, I can trust you. And then, you know, you rise to the occasion and great. So let me give you more. And then let me try for with this other person. And it's like, wait a second, this is so much more fun. And I was enjoying myself. And the feedback that I was getting was really great, too. Like, I remember before I started with working with a coach, a, a piece of feedback I would get, jokingly, usually, was like that I was intimidating. That like people felt like they could talk to Danny, but Booby was intimidating. Wasn't, it
1: wasn't joking.
0: <laughs> people experienced you as intimidating.
2: They experienced me as intimidating. And I'm like, well, I guess that's okay. That means they respect me. And I think I'm not intimidating. I just have high standards so Was sort of my rationalization around it. But I think you know. Ultimately, you want trust, and you want people to be not afraid of you, and you express things and and take chances because that's what's needed, right? So um, I didn't want people to be intimidated by me. I wanted them to be able to confide in me um, if there was something that was going on, and I wanted to respond in a sensitive, caring manner. Um, I am a caring person. I really cared about the team and the people I worked with, and it didn't. But it sometimes got pushed aside with the urgency of the task or the issue of the moment. I was not very skilled at having the conversations that Danny so effortlessly seems to have around like when things are not going well, it's like, well, how do you have sensitive conversations? How do you show up as a coach? How do you create the trust or the environment of trust where people are able to talk through things and stuff? So I felt like I didn't have the skills. I didn't have an option, but to feel, but to be controlling. But once I developed the skills, then I could let go without worrying that things are just going to break and fall um, through the cracks and stuff.
0: Thanks for sharing the stories. So Danny, it sounds like Boomi sees you as having a pretty easy time having these more direct or more developmental conversations. Where do you think that came from? Where did you learn that?
1: So in what feels like a previous life, I used to do martial arts and something that you learn early on when you're doing any kind of fighting art is that if you're going to get hit, it's better to lean into it right? Because let's say you're going to get kicked in the, in the thigh, right? If you're leaning in your weights on the thigh, the muscles tense, it's strong, it'll absorb it. Whereas if you're leaning back, it's weak, it's going to hurt a lot more. And so in that same vein, anything, any, any hard conversation, the more you put it off, the worse it's going to be is, is what I've learned repeatedly from experience. And so, you know, it also helps that I'm kind of mildly obsessive compulsive, like not enough to be diagnosed, but enough that, you know, all the papers on my desk are at right angles kind of thing. And I don't deal well with pending to do So if something needs to be done, it's like, no, I've got to get it done. I'm, I'm, I'm a little obsessive, compulsive about that.
0: I'm hearing impatience um, again.
1: Well, yeah, it's very related. Definitely, there's a personality profile emerging here. But you want to lean in. And so if you've got to bring it up, you can't just let things go, then, well, how can I, how can I explore this in a collaborative way? How can I share my concerns and what I'm looking to solve in a way that's not pointed or accusatory, right? How can I make it so that it's both of us against the problem rather than me against you? And that's what I think about when I'm like, okay, I need to figure this out so that I can then bring this to a conversation.
0: It's a really effective strategy, that principle of let me sit next to you and we'll tackle the problem together. And it definitely takes away that oppositional feel that is a more common experience for a lot of employees, I think. Danny, do you think differently, and if so, how, about leading the business and leading the people?
1: I mean, I think they are different because leading people is about inspiring around a vision and helping people step into their best ability to deliver around that vision. Leading the business is around clarity of what that vision should be. And where are the opportunities and what will be inspiring? And I think those are very related things, but they're also different.
0: So how do you strike the balance between those two, especially as the company has grown so rapidly?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think they're, I think they're related and I think they feed off of each other. right? When I think about strategy and direction and vision you know, part of what you're looking for is what will be inspiring to people? In which way will this be inspiring to people? In which way is this exciting? And then you translate it down and disseminate it wildly and repeat it a lot more often than you think you should have to repeat it.
0: That sounds like a good story. It's true. I think that people do need to hear things more often than we think. And we have to continue to emphasize and support people
1: discovering that direction. Go ahead. Well, the articulation of a strategy, idea, vision, whatever it is, it sits in a very different place for you than it does for them, right? The articulation of a strategy or vision or direction or idea for you, for the leader, that's the capstone to what has maybe been months of thinking and planning and evaluating and looking at the nuances and all that. And so when you finish that articulation, you're like, I am so done. It's like, this is my masterpiece. We are good. (laughs) But for Everyone else, it's the first they've heard of it, right? They don't have that deep insight into what you're articulating that you've had in order to get to the place of being able to articulate it. For them, it's brand new. They're trying it on for the first for the first time. They need to be able to remember it, understand it. They're probably you know a bunch of interlocking ideas. Well, they need to understand all of them and then how they connect. And they need to get it not just in their head but in their heart and in their gut. And so it's in a very different place in the, in the life cycle, right? It's the end point for you and it's the beginning point for them, which is why it can't be the end point for you. It has to continue to happen because that's what they need.
0: I think you're touching on a core issue for entrepreneurial leaders, which is I'm guiding a business, I'm building an organization, I've got a plan for our future, and then I've got this collection of people here and somehow... I have to figure out how to offer them direction, inspire them and engage them to want to go to that place and figure out what do they need in order to be successful. Seems like it uses very different parts of your personality and your brain and certainly very different behaviors. So I'm just curious, once you've translated that vision and people are starting to get it, what do you do in the organization with your team members that kind of works to balance out the impatience. What is it that you do differently in the managing of the people than in the generating of the direction?
1: Well, the direction is big. The direction is overarching. In managing and working with the people, what you're focusing on is the components, the pieces, the building blocks. And to your point, they can be different parts of a personality. I feel like I can kind of wear both hats, but there is a reason why a lot of the people who start businesses are not the people to then grow them. There's a reason why the coming up with the vision and then the execution of that vision are different. There's uh, Gino Wickman has this idea of the the you know pairing of a an, uh, visionary and an integrator, right? Because not everyone can do both of those things, or can do them well, or wants to do both of them. They are separate. But I don't know what to say beyond that acknowledgement.
0: Well, I mean, I think you are you are the face of the business, and you make big promises to clients and customers, which you guarantee and fulfill as an organization, that requires all these 120 plus people to have some sort of a perspective and some sort of a belief in the organization. And I'm just wondering if you have any insights as to how you, as this classic entrepreneur, have also been able to build up this team.
1: I think it's just a matter of, you know, that to the point of repetition, right? That inspiring vision is not something that you do once. It's something you do always and everywhere. If it's part of hiring, then you're going to hire people who are excited about the vision. If it's part of training, then people are going to develop and integrate the skills that are aligned with that vision and, and that are developed in context to understanding how they fit into the vision. If it's present when you lead fulfillment teams and they understand how the deliverable they're working on is related to the bigger picture of what we're promising and trying to accomplish.
0: Thanks. So as you know, the the name of this podcast is To Lead as Human. And I like to ask every guest, what does that phrase mean to you? So I'd love for you to each take a minute and say, what do you think that means, to lead as human?
1: I can jump in. Go. Just that leading is, you know, leading, I think I mentioned this earlier, leading is about guiding people as to where they should direct their attention. And it's something that we do all the time with everyone around us. And so we don't really have a choice about, will I lead or not? We just have a choice of, will I do it well or poorly?
2: I think that's fair. Bumi? Well, for me to lead as human is, it's a different perspective. It's more about the way you show up whenever you're trying to make something happen. So from planning a Halloween party and uh, hosting a Halloween party to, I don't know, leading a team in, in an organization. So you're leading anyway all the time, whether you call it leading or not. And, and maybe some people have uh, baggage around the word leading, but, you know, anytime you're working with a group of people or in a context to make something happen, then you're leading.
0: What's an example of a part of your own humanity that you've had to embrace to be a fully aware leader
2: I or think as emotions, fully aware as you are? You Go know, ahead, accepting the emotions that come up, right? Like when, We come to workplace. Oftentimes, there's this expectation that we're bringing our head into the office, but we're leaving our heart out, and emotions and expression of emotion is not appreciated. Um, And that leads to like not you're not working with your full strength. You're kind of being pulled back. So I think that's one of the things that has been really important for me is that you know recognizing my own emotions, listening to them being clear about what I'm feeling in my body and why I'm feeling it, and then channeling them to empathize with people, to understand where they might be coming from, recognizing and speaking to the emotions that they might be feeling versus just speaking to their head, right? So um, people might be saying they're okay, but if they're not smiling and if you see that there's something clearly bothering them, then reassuring them and responding to each other's emotions, I think, is really helpful in these contexts.
0: And what kind of results do you see, Boomi, from that approach to leadership, let's say, as opposed to maybe an earlier iteration of your leadership?
2: Well, I think we have a lot more honest conversations. We um, come up with good solutions solving real problems, and we take the whole person into account and the impact on the whole person into account versus just coming up with a theoretical solution that is not going to be effective. It's just way more effective.
0: Danny, what's been the hardest thing for you to come to terms with in your own leadership?
1: It took me a long time to accept that the way you show up in any interaction has dramatic ripples on the people around you and who are working for you. And there's something about that that feels very unfair, right? Because, you know, you're human too. You're going to have bad days too. Like, why don't I get to have a bad day? But the reality is, and you know, this is not a value judgment, it's just the reality. Like, if I show up on a meeting or on an interaction in a bad mood, everyone who is involved, their productivity will suffer substantially for the next 48 hours. Totally unfair, and yet that's the reality. And so learning to not hide parts of yourself and bring your full self to work, but also being measured about um I guess having the maturity to know what to work out where and which parts of yourself to bring to an interaction because, because people are counting on you in terms of what's going to be coming out of that interaction. So you
0: said it took you a long time to accept this. What was a moment when you, you just couldn't avoid it anymore? You just had to accept it.
1: Well, I think no specific moment comes to mind, but at some point you get to this inflection point where. You're in a moment where the stakes are high and you're challenged and frustrated and upset. And that is what you feel inclined to bring to the fore. But you've also been down this road enough times to have the wherewithal to understand that if you do that, it will not end well for you. And so you've got to kind of like, yeah, I guess it's a moment of like, okay, look, you're a grown up. What do you want to do here? Do you want to do what you feel like in the moment, but will regret later? Or do you want to suck it up and be a grown-up and handle this in the way that it should be handled and that will actually lead to what you want?
0: Again, I think every listener can relate to what you're saying. And I wonder whether you have a tip or a trick to offer folks about how to do that. How have you learned to do that?
1: I think it helps a lot to take a moment before any interaction. We tend to always be in a state of rush. There's so much to do. I'm going to do one more email. I'm going to review one more message. Then you hop onto the next thing and, you know, your head is not completely there. Taking a moment, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, not more than that, to close everything, take like three deep breaths and just think, okay, what is this next meeting, this next experience interaction I'm going into? Who is it with? What do they need from me? What can I bring to this meeting to help it be the best that it can be? And then hopping on, like those 30 to 60 seconds will go a very, very long way.
0: And for those who don't know, that's about twice as much time as it takes for the brain to process all those emotional chemicals that flood us. So I understand what you're saying. And I hope that every listener maybe can make a note of that for themselves.
2: I have another uh, tip that I'd like to share. So please, when I'm in that you know, moment of wanting to figure something out and, you know, make sure that I'm showing up productively. I, when I ask myself, am I making this better? Or am I making this worse? And there's always a possibility, no matter how bad the situation is, that you can make it worse. <laughs> so, you know, let's make sure that we're not making it worse before we get into the problem-solving mode. And, and when I ask myself that question, my brain switches to more solution-oriented stuff, more productive things.
0: That is great. Well, I just want to thank you both so much for coming onto the show today. And having these conversations, sharing your inner selves with us. Can you tell our listeners, Danny and Boomy, where can they find out more about you and your, your leadership and your
1: organization? And- well, I mean, the company is called Miracy. You can go to M-I-R-A-S-E-E dot com. And we have a network of great podcasts. So if you search for Miracy FM, you will find a number of great shows that we publish. My show is called Course Lab, and our show together, Boomy and I, is called For Better or For Work, and it's launching very soon.
2: Boomy? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Boomy B-H-O-O-M-I, Patek, P-A-T-H-A-K. I live in Montreal. You'll be able to find me.
0: Terrific. Again, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Please keep listening as I share some next steps you might take in your own leadership journey. Hi, this is Sharon. I'm popping in just before the takeaways to remind you that as an executive coach, I'm always looking to support new clients. If you or someone you know might be looking for an executive coach, head over to my website, leadinglarge.com, and you could book a complimentary appointment with me. In the first 25 minutes, we'll be able to identify a challenge you're facing and talk about whether I'm the right fit to work with you. I look forward to hearing from you. Impatience is a very human emotion and one that is common among entrepreneurs who can often very easily envision a future for their company, but sometimes struggle with the day-to-day challenges and frustrations of working with others to build that future. I'm grateful Danny and Boomi were willing to talk about this and to share their strategies for managing their own emotions. One important lesson they both shared is to recognize that when building an organization, a leader will be more successful if they focus on how to bring out the best in the people they have, rather than bemoaning what the people are lacking at that moment. Danny describes his leadership as an extension of his identity as a teacher and coach of others. He brings his ability to see potential, potential in others and for the organization, and this continues to inspire their management team, so that those folks can replicate the coaching approach throughout the organization. People don't get a free pass on failures, but it does mean that Danny and his team help others separate out mistakes of inexperience from mistakes of inattention. Bumi's shared lesson is one of how she's grown comfortable bringing more of herself, her emotions, and her vulnerabilities, even her parenting skills to work, and how it's really transformed her experience of her leadership from one where she focused on control to make sure we were avoiding failures and she was feeling stressed to one where now she feels more deep trust in her team, and finds her leadership a lot more fun and feels a lot more free and comfortable in her peer-to-peer relationships. If you would like to try and experiment with how you can bring a broader perspective to your own leadership, here's a trick that I often talk through with my own clients. In every organization, we have to focus as leaders on three things. We have to be aware of the tasks that we need to get done. We have to be aware of the processes we put into place, and we have to be aware of the relationships with the individuals we're working with. For you, I suggest you have a conversation with your own leadership team and identify where do we put most of our attention. Often we'll find it's on task, getting done the day-to-day work that's right in front of us. But we don't want to let task focus take away our attention from the relationships we're building and the processes we need to have in place in order to help our organization scale. So that's the model I want to share with you today, TPR, Task, Process, Relationship, and figure out how you as the leader can help keep those in balance for your organization to accelerate its growth. I'm Sharon Richmond, and this has been To Lead is Human. You can find out more about me at leadinglarge.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G, large.com. To Lead as Human is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes shows such as Soul Savvy Business and For Better or For Work, Danny and Bumi's new podcast, which launches on Valentine's Day. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Garvertson assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer and post-production was provided by Post Office Sound. Make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review and tell your colleagues about the podcast. It really does help us spread the word. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on To Lead is Human. I'm Molly Mahoney.
1: I'm Danny Eaney. I'm Virginia Mooskies. I'm Melinda Cohen. I'm Dave Lacani. I'm Michael Port, and you're listening to Making Making It. It. You would think that when you hit the New York Times list or the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, you would feel like you made it. For me, it never has. I think making
0: it can mean whatever you want it to mean for you.
2: Making it is about having... Time to spend as I want to spend it.
1: Making it really is about being free to live according to your own genuine values and priorities. It's about acceptance. Not only like making money, but make a difference. Make a contribution. Contribution, Like feeling like I'm making a difference to someone.
0: And I don't think making it is a one and done. I think it's an ebb and flow spiral type of pattern.
2: Making it, to me, really means being able to bring your whole self to the table. It's really a choice that
1: you make every day. Because the truth is that you do not really know what you're doing until you get started doing it. I'd say that the first seven, maybe eight years was like pushing a boulder up the hill. If there's anything that I could say to my younger self, I would say, really, like for real, for real, trust
0: I would tell myself, no shortcuts, no
1: shortcuts. The path is always in front of you, even if it's not clear. The key is to keep moving forward.
2: Everything requires work and effort, no matter how much you love it.
1: You've got to find something that you love, something that you
2: enjoy, so that your work is not a labor, it's not a chore.
1: Don't compare yourself to others but recognize that if you see someone else doing something that is of interest to you, you can do it also. I had this sensation of, I kind of felt like the walls were shaking, and I just felt like, that's what I've been doing all this time. That's who I am.
0: In that moment, I knew who they were. I knew the burdens and distractions, and I knew football potential.
1: And then I ended up ultimately in the ultimate Frisbee Hall of Fame as a Johnny Appleseed for taking the sport out to the world.
2: And so I just said to myself, you have to give this a try. If you don't give it a try, you'll spend the rest of your life wondering if you could have done it.
1: The water is always changing, and your comfort with that doesn't come from knowing that there is no uncertainty coming. It comes from trusting in your competence to handle that. I like to say, don't emulate, elevate. That's how you're going to make it. Making It is a weekly podcast brought to you by our team at Miracy. New episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Music, and most anywhere else podcasts are found.